Turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. You know, last week we looked at how the wise men sought Jesus and how that served as an example for us in how we need to seek after Jesus. Today, we're going to look at the wise man's story, but from a different angle of how the wise men worshipped through giving and how that serves as an example for us to give or worship through giving towards Christ. And so we won't read the entire story of the wise men. Most of us, if not all of us, know it anyway. But we will pick up in chapter 2, verse 9. It says, When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. You know, any time you find or, or get into the presence of Christ, it brings joy in your heart. And then it says, verse 11, And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. They did two things. Number one, they fell down and worshipped him. First off, They didn't just worship Him, they literally fell down in worship of Him. Because they understood that He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is their, their, that He was their only Messiah, their only Savior, the, the, the one who has set them and could set them free. And that's why they came down this long journey that took weeks to move, to go from where they were to this baby Jesus or this child Jesus, to worship Him. When they finally got into into the presence of God Emmanuel, they fell down to worship. And this isn't the main focus, but I do want to say a word of there's something uniquely special at home in your own house, or even in a church setting like this, of getting down on your knees to simply pray. And I know many of you do this, but if you're physically able, I really encourage you to make that a daily part of your life. Because it reminds you that He is God and you're not. It puts you in the prostrate position of dependency on the Lord. And so I just encourage you every day, maybe when you get out of bed or before you go to bed, or maybe throughout the day, your work day, or you're facing some kind of something, to go find a private place and simply get before God and kneel down on your knee. Every Sunday, when I leave I, to come in here and preach, I walk down and I, there's a little equipment room back here and I duck in there every single Sunday and I kneel down by myself after we've had prayer and try to offer myself to the Lord. To say, Lord, nothing good can happen in this place apart from you. It's not the preaching, it's not the singing, it's not how great everything else that may be in the pretty trees and so forth. The bottom line is, is that we need an almighty God, God Emmanuel, God with us. And these wise men understood that. Now, let me give you a principle that I found, have found to be true in life. You can give without worshiping, but it's impossible. Absolutely impossible. To worship without giving. And that's what we see 
that the wise men did, and this is really the main focus of our message today. How they gave is an example to us in how we should give. It says, they fell down and they worshipped him. And when they opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now they gave three possessions, this gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And by the way, your nativity set that you probably have at home has how many kings? Three. Do you realize there could have been between 40 and 50 wise men that were a part of this group that came to worship him? In fact, if you do an archaeological and historical study, probably it was about 40 wise men traveling together. The reason you have three in your nativity scene is because we see here in the scripture gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So it's like each one brought their own treasure. Now, <clears throat> let's go back to this. When they got before Jesus, they got into the right position of surrender by falling down and they worshipped him and they opened their treasures. You see, flip with me for a moment, just a few pages to the right, to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Now let me say it again. They got into the right position by kneeling down and surrender. Then they worshipped Him and it says they opened their treasures and gave to Christ. Look at Matthew six nineteen through 21. Jesus is teaching. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now here's the key verse, 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh that they opened up their treasures to give these three gifts was representation of, them, of what was deep within their own heart, which is why they worshipped him and fell in position of surrender. You see, what I believe that we're learning from this today and what we specifically see from chapter 6, verse 21 is... What's inside of us is our treasure. And what do we do with the treasure that lies within us? God's not interested in how much we give or not give. God is interested in us opening our hearts of what's on the inside and giving to Him. And when you open up your heart, when you first get before Him and you acknowledge who He is and you begin to worship Him, naturally what's on the inside comes out as an offering, a living sacrifice to a holy God named Jesus. Does that make sense? So what I'm saying is, is we must all today do a heart check of what really are the treasures that comes out of our life as we worship God. What really is deep within, and what do we do with all that God has given to us? And certainly, there's another principle or two and found in verse 19 and 20 of just in the sheer sense of physically the treasures that you have, your possessions, your monies, your, 
your, your bank accounts, your, your, the things that God has provided for you. And certainly you've worked and earned, but God's given you the capability and the doors open to work and to earn those things and the gifts and the abilities to carry out those things. And the, the, all of that, 100% comes from God. And the question is, what are you giving back to God that comes from deep within your own heart? Because if you truly worship Him, you take from your treasures and you give to Him. As Romans chapter 12, offer your body a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing unto God. For this is your, what's it say? Spiritual act of worship. It's giving from what's deep within. It's giving from what the Lord has already given to you. It's giving from what He provides this week through a tithe, for example. And you know, years ago, after all of the televangelist scandals, it seemed like pastors across the nation, we really backed off of ever talking about money. Because the pendulum had swung so bad and it was so much atrocity and misuse of funds. But the simple truth is, if you look deep at your checkbook or your checking account or your monies, the truth is you can learn a whole lot about people and what's really important to them. And today, may we all take a look at our own finances and say, do we really give to God? You know, in Malachi, flip with me over to chapter 3, one book to the left, by the way, from Matthew, the last book of the Old Testament. And this is so fitting, by the way, today, because we're, we've, we've affirmed our budget for next year. Today is our 40th day for our offering for the building, for that fund. And so we've got two things that we didn't plan it this way, but all are coming out. Two financial issues that are occurring on the same day. And it happens to be the same day that I'm preaching on the wise men and giving of their gifts. So we have three. It's three components all merging together on this day. And in Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings? That's the answer. You're cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven, and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. You see, there's a principle that God says, hey, tithing and offering, you need to give to God. And that by doing so, and out of that obedience, God opens the windows of heaven, and He pours into your storehouse. Now, it's interesting, it's the only verse that I know of in all of Scripture, there in verse 10 we see it, where the Lord says and tells us to test Him on this. In fact, this version says, try me. Other versions translated as, test me. I was a young pastor in North Carolina at a church. And I was reading this, and I was giving a tithe. 
learning about giving and trying to to provide, and I wasn't making hardly anything. It's this little church in North Carolina. Brother Fred actually came up. He and SL and spoke there. They did one of the Barnabas conferences years ago. And I'm in this little tiny church. And I read this, and I sensed deep in my soul the Lord say, test me. And I said, well, Lord, your, your word says to, to test you or try you on this subject, so I'm going to do it. And I began to pray. I said, Lord, I want to learn this principle firsthand. And I began to pray. I said, Lord, give me opportunity to give. And I'm asking you, Lord, to return the storehouse tenfold. I want to try you on this. Well, about a week had passed, and I'm in my office at this little church, and there's a knock on the door, and I go to the door, and there's this gentleman, probably in his 50s, I would think. Maybe his 40s. He doesn't look good. He looks poor. He looks haggard. His leg is completely messed up. It was clear he had had some kind of a surgery. He walked in with a limp. I did, had never laid eyes on the man before, and he, I said, well, you know, what can I do for you? And he said, began to tell me that his rent was due that afternoon by 6 o'clock, and that he was already behind, and if he didn't pay his rent, then he was going to get evicted along with his family, and he was asking if there's any way that we could, as a church could help him. Well, y'all, in ministry, you get a lot of requests all the time. And a lot of those are not valid, but I'm sitting there, and he needed $164 for his rent. And I began to say to him, well, you know, I would love to write you a check, but there, I don't even sign the checks, and there's no one here else here to sign the check. And I sense the Lord speak to me and say, you personally give him the money. And I'm sitting there with this man and talking with him and trying to encourage him. And again, I come up with all kinds of excuses on why I couldn't give him the $164. And every time I came up with an excuse, I sensed deep in my heart the Lord said to me, Joe, you give him the $164. Well, then I began to debate. Then I'm just making up stuff to keep the man in my office trying to decide, Lord, I, this isn't a part of the deal. Now, I, I, I didn't really mean this. Because at the time, I wasn't making hardly any money, and I only had about 175 in my checking account. The man needed 164. So I began to debate with the Lord in this conversation. I'm like, Lord, I don't have, I don't have enough money. He said, you give him 164. I said, Lord, I don't have it. And I sensed the Lord speak to me and say, you said to test me, and now I'm testing you. You give it. So I turned around, and I wrote the man... Well, actually, actually, his landlord, a check for $164. I took the man back to his home, which was in the bad part of town in Raleigh, North Carolina. When I got there, we went by the landlord's house. And I kid you not, I knocked on the door, and this older gentleman came to the door, and he had been crying. And I said, Mr. So-and-so said that he owes you some money. He said he does. To, he's, it's due this afternoon. And I said, and the man goes, but I really don't care because my wife passed away yesterday. And suddenly, if it wasn't for me being obedient to that man and then carrying him home, would I not have been standing with this widowed, older gentleman 
by himself in his home with no one else there while he cried over the loss of his wife. I walked into his den and I began to minister to him and pray with him. And then I wrote the check for $164 and gave it to the landlord, which kept the other man and his family in their house for another month. And then I left, and I sensed a great sense of joy and peace because God had done something supernatural. Within the next two weeks, I kid you not. Now, I write this in my book, by the way. I kid you not. I sensed, I said, okay, Lord, $164. And this deal we've got going tenfold, $1,640. Within two weeks, someone bought me a couch, groceries, all kinds of stuff, and I would ask them the amount. I didn't say this story to no one. In the next two weeks, I had $1,566. They had been given to me. I said, okay, Lord, 74 more dollars. Seventy-four bucks, Lord. I mean, I'm thankful now. I'm like, but, but this is kind of fun. Seventy-four dollars. I promise you, I did not say a word to anyone about any of this. The next Sunday, a widow, older lady widowed, meets me at the door. Miss Valera. Pam Valera. Heavy set, short lady. And she meets me at the back door, and she shakes my hand, and she gives me an envelope. I stuck it in my Bible and went home. When I got home, I remembered, and I opened the envelope. I didn't know what, have any idea what it was. And when I opened it, there was a card, and this is what the card said. My husband and I were tailors, and we always enjoyed making suits for our pastors throughout the years. Now that he is gone, and I am not able to tailor any longer... I would like to give you some money to buy you a new suit. I received an unexpected insurance check and wanted to give it to you. God bless you, Pastor. And there inside was a check for $74. Now, what I was blessed to learn at a young age and young in the ministry was that God does things supernaturally when you join Him in the supernatural. God does things supernaturally when you're obedient to His Word, which is a supernatural gift to us as an instruction book for life. And all I know is that on that day I learned quickly that God does things in ways that I don't understand. And God wants our obedience and God wants us to give joyfully and what we see here by these wise men, if you'll flip back to Matthew, is this. When they fell down and worshipped the Lord, they opened what they had, their treasures, and they gave Christ a gift. Now, there's three things I want to take note of because I believe, and I'll show you in a moment, God doesn't want us just to give towards our budget, give towards the building, give offerings of gifts for kids like right now at Christmas or whatever. There's a certain way that God wants us to give. And one is, yes, tithes and offerings. But also, there's something interesting that I see here. When they showed up to worship the Lord 
as they followed this star and sought out Jesus, all of that, leaving their homes and the comforts of home to find Jesus, and they knelt down and they worshipped Him. Do you think that they were like, we want to give something to the Lord? Has anybody got anything? Honey, what you got in your pocket? Just give that. No, get this. They had to plan on worshiping Him and giving. They had to prepare their gift to have it there so that they could give it, offer it to the Lord. And then when they gave it, it's already said that when they saw the star, they were with great joy. And they gave joyfully to God. So they planned on giving. They prepared their gift with a purpose. They had a purpose in their gift. And they did it joyfully. I want to show you something, though, because... Some in this congregation, you have more money than maybe all of us. Others in this congregation or here in the service today, you have nothing and you feel like, I don't have anything to give. There was a year in my life, not so far in the distant, in the past rather, where I literally had not had a paycheck in a year. And I would pray and I would see how God would provide. And God doesn't always provide financially. You realize that, right? That's an American way of thinking. God provides in other ways. Manna from heaven, so to speak. And y'all, I remember sitting in church, having not received any income, literally. But God providing in other ways and wanting to give and wanting to give more than I had. And the truth was, I didn't have anything coming in to give. And I remember a many a Sunday almost weeping when the plate would pass and I would pray. Almighty God, I sure wish I could give. Oh Lord, I wish I could give more if it was a little. But I want us to look at a story. Because we have to understand that the Lord's not looking at what we give, He looks at how we give. Flip with me to the book of Mark for a moment. And I want to look at someone else who gave a gift to the Lord. Look at Mark chapter 14. Actually, I'm wrong. Mark chapter 12. Twelve, verse 41. I love this story. In fact, I love this story so much so that in my office, I, I was able to acquire years ago a little tiny coin that's framed that's in my office right now. And it's literally the same coin or one of the coins just like the widow's mite. 2,000-year-old coin. Look at this. Now, Jesus sat opposite the treasury, and he saw, what, how the people put money into the treasury. Now, let's stop for a moment. What would happen is they had this courtyard, so to speak, and they had what looked like funnels. And people would come by, and they would put their money into this oversized funnel. It would go down, and that was how people gave. And so this lady... Or, or Jesus is sitting there with his disciples, and he's watching how people gave their money into those big tubes. 
And many who were rich, it says, put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which makes a quadrant. Now, basically, that's a couple of pennies. That's a small amount, less than a dollar in today's terms. So he called his disciples to himself, and he said to them, And surely I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. You see, the wealthy wise men showed up soon after Christ was born, and they planned to give with purpose towards Christ, and they worshipped Him by giving joyfully. They had plenty, and they gave plenty. We see this poor widow where she has no idea Jesus is watching. And she comes up, and can't you see this older widow woman? They didn't have Social Security and those kind of things. And she reaches into her pocket, and she pulls out a few small pennies, and she puts it down into that tube to the treasury to give her gift to the Lord. And Jesus, sitting there with his disciples, and all of the wealthy come, and they may give big amounts of money and some people are applauded because it's so large or whatever the case may, may be. But Jesus is watching this lady do this. He says, look at that, guys. A lot of people giving a lot of money today. But that woman, she's given the most of anybody who she's given today. For she's given out of her poverty and she's given her abundance. Oh, we can't get caught up. And as a church, I know that we don't, but it's easy to let us drift. Do we look at what people give? Or do you look at what you can't give? Or do you feel guilty because you can't give what maybe you used to give when you were making a bunch of money and now you're on Social Security and you can't give as much? Or... Maybe the opposite is true and the Lord's giving you a great amount of money and you're still spending it on things and this and that and all of this other stuff. And you give a big check and you say, look, I gave that big check. It's like a, a, a millionaire, a true millionaire came to me one time. guy in the NFL when I was doing that ministry. And he said, I want to know about giving. And we began to talk about giving. And I said, well, first off, you need to tithe. He was making $2 million a year. He goes, that's $200,000. I said, yeah. That's a lot of money. I was like, sure is. But so is $2 million. He goes, well, I can't give that. How come you can't? He goes, well, I, I, I can't afford it. I said, you can't afford it. How come you can't afford it? He said, well, I've got my payment on my house. I've got my couple of rental houses. I've got the car. I mean, I, we can't afford to do that. And I said, but yet you're, how, how about the one who just made $200 for the week and they gave 20 bucks? You don't think 20 means something? No. Yeah. 
my math is right. The point I'm making is this, and we see it in this story. The Lord's not looking at how much. The Lord's looking for obedience to what God has given to you, first and foremost, that you tithe it. And secondly, that you give joyfully. And that you don't just show up and say, well, I'll just give out my abundance, or here's that, or here's this, or here's, you know, I'll just, here's these kids need Christmas gifts. You know, just give them a gift. Or here's the building fund, don't even think about it or pray about it. Hey, I got a little extra cash, just give them 200 bucks, they'll be happy with that. No, 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 no. The Lord's not pleased with that kind of giving. The Lord is pleased with what the, flip with me to 2 Corinthians 9, and I'll show you what I mean. Paul teaches this. Verse, chapter 8 and verse nine, chapter 9, he teaches us about giving. I encourage you to read the whole thing. But I especially want us to look at verse, chapter 9, verse 6. And here's the beauty of giving. It's not, well, I get that burden off of me, I, I, okay, I did it. The beauty of giving is understanding that God owns everything and that I'm, I have the privilege of giving back to God. What a joyful thing that is. And we see in chapter 9, verse 6, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will, reap, will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he pur- purposes in his heart, not grudgingly, or of necessity, for God loves a what? Cheerful giver. And I want to encourage this, and I know that we do, and this is a giving church. But let's make sure that we absolutely give joyfully, cheerfully. Every time the offering plate comes, or we're able to buy a gift for a kid, or send an offering to missions, or give to someone else, that we don't do it out of burden, we don't do it out of necessity, we don't do it because we feel like we have to. We do it because we want to give to God, and God leads us, and God provides for us, and we just simply want to give joyfully to Him out of the worship of our heart. Because God loves a joyful or a cheerful giver. Well, I want to be loved by the Lord. Now, I know He loves me. And the point being made is, doesn't it make you feel great when, if you're at a birthday or let's take Christmas morning, and someone, your, your son comes up and gives you a gift, here you go, Mama. As opposed to, I can't wait for you to open this. Doesn't it make you feel much better when someone gives you a gift that you Know that they want to give, not because it's your birthday. And every time we have opportunity to give to the Lord, I just want to encourage us today, and Paul encourages through the Word, that God loves a joyful giver. And what a privilege we have to be able to give to Him. I'm so thankful. I'm thankful for the days that I didn't have much, and I had to give little and felt like a dog for giving little, but the truth was, God saw that. And I'm thankful that... Now, as I have a regular paycheck and I have income of being able to give joyfully to the Lord, to be able to give to Luke 4.18, I'm so thankful that I don't even have to worry about that money. I give it because I know it's going to great causes. A church is giving 15% to missions, to, to 
a building that's going to be a shine a light and be a, a place of worship and a place of discipleship and a place of fellowship, a place of evangelism, all right out there on Solid Road. I can't wait today to make sure that we give to that offering. I'll tell you why else we give. One, we give primarily with purpose and we plan to give and we joyfully give and we do it because we want to do it and we want to give it over to God. But I'll tell you what else. Another reason we need to give is because God wants us to stamp out darkness. And when we sit back and do nothing, darkness envelops a room. God, or darkness envelops a town or a city or a person's life as we saw in Connecticut over the, uh, over the weekend. You see, there was one who was killed. This is not the first incident in Connecticut, by the way, of something like this happening. We know we're seeing it more prevalent in our nation because we've removed God from our school system. We've removed God from being commonplace in our society. We've removed the lamp stand of God being His Word on giving guidance to people. We get that. But let me remind you, in Matthew chapter 2, there was a man, a king named Herod, and he said, I hate Jesus, and I want to get rid of Jesus. I want to get rid of what is good. And he went out and he killed every baby boy in a small village called Bethlehem. And it's interesting here as we look at Christmas that if you do a historical study of Bethlehem, of the population of Bethlehem when Christ was born, and you took the number of that population that was under the age of two, it would equate to about 20 boys. So 20 families had their boys taken from them at Christmas 2,000 years ago. Brother Fred said it right. There's an evil one named the devil. And he seeks to steal, kill, and destroy every single creation that God has ever made. There is a warfare, a spiritual warfare in the heavenlies between good and evil. And as we have removed God, evil moves in. And there's something interesting that Jerry Carl had sent to me this week that Max Lucado had written, and it was very good, and I won't read the whole thing, but Lucado was saying that Jesus was born in the darkness of the night as a light into the darkness. And what we know is, is that Jesus Christ, when we follow Him and He indwells us, that we are the light not to be hidden. But we're the light out in the world, and everywhere we go, everywhere we share, as we give and we do things as a congregation across this globe, we penetrate the darknesses of evil with the light of Christ. And every time we see one come to know the Lord, they move from darkness into light. Today's world, we take everything that seems a little nuts, and we put a label on it, of mental illness. In the scriptures, there were some cases of mental illness, absolutely, but there's also demonic oppression and depression, and we better make understand that the battle is not just against the, against the country's liberalism land, uh, uh, leaning, it is against the devil and his scheme to destroy people's lives. But what we do is we penetrate the darkness. By being lights in the darkness, but also in giving 
to the causes of Christ so that the light is shown around the globe. I believe we have 70-something missionaries and ministries that we support as a church. It's awesome. And this church gives, and we have giving towards our building. And today we take up an offering, and I hope that we can't wait to give to the offering. And then the next 40-day period, or the next 10 days, we pray and say, Lord, what do you want us to give towards this building? And we pray, and we are excited about that and joyful about that, because every day we're getting closer to the opening of that building, and God provides through us. And for the widow, she planned when she showed up and she gave with purpose and she did it with joy and Jesus saw every bit of it. So the point again is not how much you give, it's how you give. And the Lord wants us to give with joyful hearts and abundantly to him. The greatest story I've ever seen, and this is as I close. I was blessed, both of my grandmothers were godly ladies. My mother's mother, her name was Big Mama. Big Mama weighed about 100 pounds, so I have no idea how she became Big Mama. And that woman poured into my life. I remember sitting on her lap, her loving me and spending time with me and my other grandmother as well. But the story today is about Big Mama. She was a member of Fair Hope United Methodist Church. She loved the Lord. Prayed and prayed and prayed. And she'd been a widow for a long, long time. And the only income she had was Social Security. It would grieve me when I go over to her house and see, one, the simplistic lifestyle that she would live but at the same time how joyful she was and every week I would see her check anytime I went by she'd have her check sitting on the stand in her den where she had written so she could give the next week through her church she prepared to give and she gave and gave and gave every week and in the Methodist church, or at least at Fairhope, they make a commitment. How much do you commit for the year? How much will you be giving for the year? Kind of your weekly giving. And she had made her commitment. It was $50 a month. And when she passed away, and my mother was over the will and all of that, and she had all of her bills together to pay for garbage, pay for her power, pay so forth. And in that stack was a handwritten note where Big Mama wrote and she said, Please honor, if I pass away, please honor my giving to my church because I made a commitment to give. So from her simple bank account for the next year, the first check written after she had passed away was to her church every month, $50. Their pastor, who's a good, godly pastor, by the way, used her as an example to their church. 
on what it means to give joyfully and give back to God even if you don't have much. I'm so thankful that I had a grandmother like that that I could learn from. I'm so thankful that as a young seminary pastor, the Lord taught me a lesson about tithing from Malachi. I'm so thankful that even when I didn't have hardly anything, and I would pray as the plate came by, and I put a small amount in that the Lord taught me that it's not always how big the check is. It's the heart of wanting to give. And I'm so thankful that today I stand here at Luke 4.18, two Sundays before Christmas, on the day that we take our offering for our building, and we approve or affirm our budget for the next year. And as we move into a new location during 2013, Lord willing, and we do all that we're doing, and I'm a part of a great church, I'm so thankful to be with people who understand what it means to give joyfully. It's not what we give. It's how we give. Thank you for giving. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for giving joyfully. For me, the lesson I take from this is this. I've got to think, Pam and I have to think more of how do we plan with purpose to give, not just put our check in. Purposeful in our giving. And then every time we give, to do it joyfully. With thanksgiving. Amen? 2 Corinthians chapter 9 ends with a verse that I think is appropriate for us to end with today. And that is, he says, we thank God for his indescribable gift, being Jesus. Today, I hope and pray if you, that you know the Lord, that you've come to know him. If not, all I know is that you're missing out on life. Living life on your own is on your own, and it's difficult to do. But when you have Christ in your heart, and he's with you, doesn't mean life gets easy, but it sure is great to have the helper called the Holy Spirit, and you're living with a purpose named Jesus.